Shalom. Greetings. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website is scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, we're continuing our uh, celebration, if you will, of the Feast of Purim. And we're going to be reading Esther again, except this time from the Greek Septuagint. Now, the Greek Septuagint, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it, but it was the most common text of Jesus' day. Uh, It was the Hebrew Bible collected and put together in Greek, which was the most common tongue of the day, kind of how English is the most used tongue of our day. And what's interesting, first of all, if I have to correct myself, I believe I said in... uh, earlier this week that the Septuagint version had like six extra chapters. I don't know why I was thinking that. That's actually not true. Um, It still has 10 chapters. What it does have, though, is a bunch of additional information. Um, As an example here at the beginning, we have Mordecai's vision uh, that he has before all of this goes down. Um. Secondly, the decree that goes out that says all the Jews are going to be killed on a certain day, and uh, that whole decree is here for us to read so we can see what it actually says. So there's just a little bit of extra information. Um, Now, why the uh, King James Bible and other English text, uh, when the English Bibles were put together, went with uh, the version they did and not the version that was traditionally read by the Greeks. Uh, I'm not sure. There's probably some manuscript reasons why they made that choice. Um, But I think you're going to find this very, very interesting. All right. There's also one other thing we're going to talk about once I get to it that I forgot to mention when we did our study out of the King James Version. Uh, that deals with Haman and just an important historical thing that we need to take note of uh, that I feel like just really jumps out uh, while we're studying it here in the Septuagint. All right, we're going to read the first four chapters and then, Lord willing, we'll read the rest of it tomorrow. Let's begin. Chapter 1, the book of Esther from the Septuagint. In the second year, of the reign of Artaxes, the great king, on the first day of Nisan. Marcus, the son of Jarus, the son of Simeus, the son of Kisius, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Jew dwelling in the city, Susa, a great man serving in the king's palace, saw a vision. Now he was of the captivity of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried captive from Jerusalem, with Jacinus, the king, of Judea. So please note a couple of things. Obviously, it's going to have a Greek transliteration, uh, so the names might sound slightly different uh, as a result of that. However, our taxis might sound similar to Xerxes, uh, the famous king of Persia, which dominated the world at that time. Uh, and there's a lot of scholars and, and people who have looked at this who believe that that is the very king that we're talking about here. Uh, because this king, Artaxes, uh, he, I mean, he's got a huge, massive kingdom. 
that's really dominated uh, the known world at that time. And so Mordecai has a vision, and here's what it is. And this was the dream. Behold, voices and noises, thunders and earthquake, tumult upon the earth. And behold, two great serpents came forth, both ready for the conflict. And there came from a great voice, by their voice, every nation was prepared for battle, even to fight against the nation of the just. And behold, a day of darkness and blackness, tribulation and anguish, affection and tumult upon the earth. And all the righteous nation was troubled, fearing their own afflictions, and they prepared to die, and cried to God. And from their cry came, as it were, a great river from a little fountain, even much water. And the light and the sun arose, and the lowly were exalted, and devoured the honorable. Now, just a little side note here, and I just want to point this out. You'll notice that Mordecai's dream is very apocalyptic and symbolic in nature. Like, we know the story, right? And the story doesn't involve great earthquakes and thunders and all that stuff. Those are just, this just apocalyptic literature. It's symbolism, meaning a great shaking and trouble and things of that nature is coming. Interestingly enough, we, we know this when we read prophecy and dreams and things like that, especially from the prophets. But then when we get to books like the book of Revelation and things like that, we take it, we take it more literal. And this is why we have so many, so much trouble in the end time prophecy uh, space, is there's just a lot of apocalyptic literature that's that's just interpreted wrongly. Um, and as you've heard me say before, prophecy is meant to be understood in hindsight. It's not so that you know the future. Right, unless a prophecy is like given or a dream is given, and then the and then there's a supernatural interpretation that's given with it, or something of that nature. But just a little side note. So Mordecai has the dream. Continuing on, and Mordecai, it does say Mordecus, but I'm just going to say Mordecai here, so we know who we're talking about. And Mordecai, who had been who had seen the vision and what God desired to do, having awoke, kept it in his heart. And desired by all means to interpret it even until night. And Mordecai rested quiet in the palace with Gabatha and Tharatha, the king's two chamberlains, eunuchs who guarded the palace. And he heard their reasoning, and he searched out their plans, and learned that they were preparing to lay hands on King Artaxes. And he informed the king concerning them. And the king examined the two chamberlains, and they confessed and were executed. And the king wrote these things for a memorial. Also Mordecai wrote concerning these matters. And the king commanded Mordecai to attend to the palace and gave gifts for his service. And Amon, the son of Amathus, the, Bu- the Bugin, was honorable in the sight of the king. And he endeavored to hurt Mordecai and his people because of the two chamberlains of the king. So please note, it, according to the Septuagint, this little scuffle, uh, this uh, hatred that Haman has for Mordecai starts all the way back with these two chamberlains that Mordecai 
uh, found out were trying to plotting to kill the king and made it known to the king, which is very interesting. It almost makes you think that Haman's end goal is to just be leader of the whole world, isn't it? Continuing on. And it came to pass after these things. By the way, this that part that I just read, it's like this prequel to the chapter. So it's chapter one, and then you read this prequel where it gives a little information. It gives, and then it actually begins the story. And so that's just interesting. Like I'm getting ready to start verse one. That little introduction there would be a piece of the puzzle that was not that's not included in like the King James as an example. All right, verse one. And it came to pass after those things in the days of Artaxes, this Artaxes ruled over a hundred and seventy provinces from India. In those days, when King Artaxes was on the throne in the city of Susa, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast to his friends and the other nations, and to the nobles of the Persians and Medes, and the chief of the, of the satraps. And after this, after he had shown them the wealth of his kingdom and the abundant glory of wealth during a hundred and eighty days, when I say the days of the marriage feast were completed, the king made a banquet to the nations who, who were present in the city six days in the court of the king's house, which was adorned with hangings of fine linen and flax on cords and fine linen and purple, fastened to golden and silver studs on the pillars of parian, marble, and stone. There were golden and silver couches on, on a pavement of emerald stone and of pearl and of Persian stone and open-worked coverings Variously flowers, flowered, having roses worked around about, gold and silver cups and small cups of carbuncle, set out of the value of thirty thousand talents, abundant and sweet wines, which the king himself drank. And this banquet was not according to the appointed law, but so the king would have it, he changed the stewards to perform his will and that of the company. Also Aston, the queen, made a banquet for the women in the palace where King Artaxes dwelt. Now on the seventh day, the king being merry, told Amon and Bezin and Tharatha and Barazi and Zoethaltha and Abatza and Tharba, the seven chamberlains, servant of King Artaxes, to bring in the queen to him, to enthrone her and crown her with a diadem and to show her the prince's and her beauty to the nations, for she was beautiful. But Queen Aston hearkened not to him to come with the chamberlains, so the king was grieved and angered. So please note, in this story you get more of a sense that the king wanted to honor the queen, right? Like he wanted to bring her out and put the crown on her head and, and of course, show off her beauty. When she refuses, he's not just angry, it says, says that he's grieved, he's hurt that she won't come, and of course he's angry and I'm sure embarrassed in front of all these nobles when he's trying to show that he's the, you know, the greatest in the world, basically. Verse 13. And he said to his friends, Thus has Aston spoken, pronounced thereof upon the case law and judgment. Sarkisius and Sarethius and Malasur, the princes of Persians and Medes, who were near the king, who sat chief in rank by the king, drew near to him. 
and reported to him according to the laws and how it was proper to do to Queen Ashton. Because she had not done the things commanded of the king by the chamberlains. And Machias said to the king and to the princes, Queen Aston has not wronged the king only, but also all the king's rulers and princes. For he has told them the words of the queen and how she disobeyed the king. As then said he, she refused to obey King Artaxes. To this day shall the other ladies of the chiefs and of the Persians and Medes, having heard what she said to the king, dare in the same way to dishonor their husbands. If then it seemed good to the king, let him make a royal decree, and let it be written according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, and let him not alter it, and let not the queen come to him any more, and let the king give her royalty to a woman better than she. And let the law of the king which he hath made be widely proclaimed, in his kingdom and so shall all the women give honor to their husbands from the poor even to the rich and the saying pleased the king and princes and the king did as Micaiah had said and sent into all the kingdom through several provinces according to their language in order that men might be feared in their own houses chapter 2 and after this the king's anger was pacified and he no more mentioned Aston bearing in mind what she had said and how he had condemned her. Then the servants of the king said, Let there be sought for the king a chance and beautiful young virgins. And let the king appoint local governors in all the provinces of the kingdom and let them select fair and chaste young damsels and bring them to the city of Susa into the women's apartment and let them be cosigned to the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, and let things for purification and other attendance be given to him and let the woman who shall please the king be queen instead of Aston and a thing pleased the king and he did so now there was a Jew in the city of Susa and his name was Mordecai the son of Yaris the son of Simeas the son of Caesius, of the tribe of Benjamin who had been brought a prisoner from Jerusalem which Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon had carried into captivity and he had fostered a child daughter of Aminadab, his father's brother, and her name was Esther. And when her parents were dead, he brought her up for a wife for himself, and the damsel was beautiful. And because the king's ordinance was published, many damsels were gathered to the city, Susa, under the hand of Gia. And Esther was brought to Gia, the keeper of women. And the damsel pleased him, and she found favor in his sight. And he hasted to give her the things of purification and her portion, and the seven maidens appointed her out of the palace, and he treated her and her maidens well in the women's apartment. But Esther discovered not her family nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her not to tell. But Mordecai used to walk every day by the woman's court to see what would become of Esther, now this was the time for a virgin to go into the king, when she would have fulfilled twelve months, for so are the days of purification fulfilled, six months while they are anointing themselves with oil of myrrh, and six months with spices and woman's purifications. And when the damsel goes into the king, to offer whomsoever he shall give the command, will bring her to come with him from the woman's apartment to the king's chamber. 
She enters in the evening and the, in the morning and departs to the second woman's apartment, where Gia, the king chamberlain, is keeper of the women. And she goes not into the king again, unless she should be called by name. And when the time was fulfilled for Esther, the daughter of Animadab, the brother of Mordecai, father to go to the king, she neglected nothing from which the chamberlains, the woman's keeper, commanded. For Esther found grace in the sight of all that looked upon her. So Esther went to the king Atarxes in the twelfth month, which is Adar, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther, and she found favor beyond all the other virgins, and he put her, put on her the queen's crown. And the king made a banquet for all of his friends and great men seven days, and highly celebrated the marriage of Esther, and made a release to those who were under his dominion. But Mordecai served in the palace. Now Esther did not discover her kindred. For so Mordecai commanded her to fear God and to perform his commandments as when she was with him, and Esther changed not her manner of life. Please note, so Esther becomes queen. She doesn't reveal to anybody that she's a Jew because Mordecai had warned her in advance not to. But it says that she continued to perform and live out the Lord's commandments, God's commandments, just as she did before she was queen. So she doesn't change her character because she becomes the most powerful woman on the earth. Verse 21. And two chamberlains of the king, the chiefs of the bodyguard, were grieved because Mordecai was promoted, and they sought to king kill to sought to kill King Artaxes. So there's an interesting thing to note. The reason that the two guys were plotting to kill Artaxes was because they were angry that Mordecai was promoted. You see, what's happening is is the favor that Mordecai is having is angering the people around him. These two chamberlains who plot to kill Artaxes, even Haman. And the matter was discovered to Mordecai, and he made it known to Esther, and she declared to the king the matter of the conspiracy. And the king examined the two chamberlains and hanged them. And the king gave orders to make a note for memorial in the royal records of a good offers of Mordecai as accommodation. Chapter 3 and after this, King Artaxes highly honored Amon, son of Madathus, the Bugian, and exalted him and set his seat above all of his friends. And all in the palace did him obstinance, for so the king had given orders to do, but Mordecai did not do him obstinance. And they in the king's palace said to Mordecai, Mordecai, why dost thou transgress the commands of the king? Thus they spoke daily to him, but he hearkened not unto them, so they rep represented to Amon that Mordecai resisted the commands of the king, and Mordecai had shown them that he was a Jew. And then Amon understood that Mordecai did not obstinate to him, he was greatly enraged, and took counsel to destroy utterly all the Jews who were under the rule of Artaxes. And he made a decree in the twelfth year of his reign, of our taxis, and cast lots daily and monthly to slay in one day the race of Mordecai. And the lot fell on the fourteenth day of the month, which is Adar. Please note that's where the Feast of Purim and the word Purim comes from, because pure means lot. Haman cast lots to decide when to kill the Jews. That's where that name comes from. 
And he spoke to King Artaxerxes, saying, There is a nation scattered among the nations in all thy kingdom, and their laws differ from those of all the other nations, and they disobey the laws of the king. And it is not expedient for the king to let them alone. If it seem good to the king, let him make a decree to destroy them. And I will remit into the king's treasury ten thousand talents of silver. And the king took off his ring, and he gave it to the hand of Ammon, to seal the decree against the Jews. And the king said to Ammon, Keep the silver, and treat the nation as thou wilt. So the king recorders were called in on the first month of the thirtieth day, the thirteenth day, and they wrote as Ammon commanded to the captains and governors in every province, from India to Ethiopia, to a hundred and twenty-seven provinces, and to the rulers of nations according to their several languages, in the name of King Artaxes. And the message was sent by post throughout the kingdom of Artaxes to destroy utterly the race of the Jews on the first day of the twelfth month, which is Adar, and to plunder their goods. And the following is a copy of the letter. So please note, what you're getting ready to hear is the actual letter itself. This is what went out to the nations. The great king Artaxes writes thus to the rulers and inferior governors of 127 provinces from India even to Ethiopia, who hold authority under him, ruling over many nations and having obtained dominion over the whole world. I was minded not elated by the confidence of power, but ever conducting myself with great moderation and gentleness to make the lives of my subjects continually tranquil, desiring both to maintain the kingdom quiet and orderly to its uttermost limits and to restore the peace desired by all men. But when I inquired of my counselors how this should be brought to pass, Amon, who excels in soundness of judgment among us and has been manifestly well inclined without wavering, with unshaken fidelity, had obtained the second post of the kingdom, informed us that a certain ill-disposed people is mixed up with all the tribes throughout the world, opposed in their law to every nation, and continually neglecting the commands of the king, so that the united government's blasphemy administered by us not quietly established. Having then conceived that this nation alone after all others is continually set in opposition to every man, introducing a charge of foreign code of laws, injuriously plotting to accomplish the worst of evils against our interest and against the happy establishment of the monarchy. We signify to you in the letter written by Haman, who is set over the public affairs and is our second governor to destroy all the to destroy them all utterly with their wives and children by the swords of their enemies without pity or sparing any on the fourteenth day of the twelfth month Adar of the present year that the people after time and now ill disposed to us having been violently consigned to death in one day may hereafter secure us continually a well constituted and quiet state affairs now I want you to note something I want you to note this phrase here's the command by Amon, who set over the public affairs and as our second governor to destroy them all utterly with their wives and their children by the swords of the enemies without sparing any. Now, Haman is an Amalek, right? Like when you read out the King James Bible or any English text, he's 
and Amalek. Here's what's interesting. The Amalekites were supposed to be destroyed off the earth. This was supposed to be done by King Saul. King Saul didn't do what he was supposed to do. He preserved some of the things for himself. He preserved some of the animals for sacrifices. He let the king live. And as a result, that is when the Lord spoke to Samuel and told him to tell King Saul that the kingdom was going to be taken from him because of his disobedience. So if we go to 1 Samuel 15.8, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we've got to get this point. So let's go to 1 Samuel 15. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go, smite Amalek, and utter, see that word? And utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not. That's the exact same phrase that we just read about what Haman wants to do to the Jews. But slay both man and woman and infant and suckling ox and sheep and camel and ass. Long story short, Saul did not carry this out all the way. And as a result, we still have some Amalekites alive in Esther's day, one being Haman, who now wants to destroy all the Jews utterly off the earth. One man's disobedience to God has led to this crisis that we're looking at right now in the book of Esther. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Haman wants to execute the exact same judgment that was pronounced on his people hundreds of years before that. Just an interesting thing to note. Continuing on, because we're running out of time here, and I want to read chapter 4 really quickly. Chapter 3 ends with this verse, And the copies of the letters were published in every province. And an order was given to all the nations to be ready against the day. And the business was hastened, and that at Susa. And the king and Ammon began to drink, but the city was troubled. Chapter 4 But Mordecai Having perceived what was done, rent his garments and put on sackcloth and sprinkled dust upon himself, and having rushed forth throughout, through the open street of the city, he cried with a loud voice, A nation that has done no wrong is going to be destroyed. And he came to the king's gate and stood, for it was not lawful for him to enter into the palace wearing sackcloth and ashes. In every province where the letters were published, there was crying and lamentation and great mourning on the part of the Jews. They spread for themselves sackcloth and ashes. And the queen's maid and the chamberlains went and told her. And when she had heard what was done, she was disturbed, and she sent clothes to Mordecai to take away his sackcloth, but he consented not. So Esther called for her chamberlain, Artaxus, Arharcharis, who waited upon her. And she sent to learn the truth from Mordecai. And Mordecai showed him what was done and the promise which Amon had made the king of ten thousand talents to be paid into the treasury that he might destroy the Jews. She gave him the copy of the writing that was published in Susa concerning their destruction to show Esther and told him to charge her to go in and interact with the king and to beg him for the people, remembering, she said he, the days of thy low estate, how thou were nursed by my hand, because Amon who holds the next place to the king has spoken against us for death. 
Do thou call upon the Lord and speak to the king concerning us to deliver us from death. By the way, God, the Lord, is mentioned a lot in the Septuagint text. The text we have in our standard Bible doesn't mention him, but he's clearly mentioned here. Right here, Mordecai is telling Esther to go pray to the Lord for help. Verse 9. So Archias went and he told her all these words. And Esther said to Archias, Go to Mordecai and say, All the nations of the empire know that whoever, man or woman, shall go into the king into the inner court uncalled, that person cannot live. Only to whomsoever the king shall stretch out his golden scepter, he shall live. And I have not been called to go into the king for these thirty days. And Archias reported to Mordecai all the words of Esther. And Mordecai said to Archias, Go and say to her, Esther, Say not to thyself that thou alone will escape in the kingdom, more than all the other Jews. For if thou shalt refuse to hearken on this occasion, help and protection will be to the Jews from another quarter. But thou and thy father's house will perish. And who knows if thou hast been made queen for this very occasion? And Esther sent the man that came to her to Mordecai, saying, Go. Assemble the Jews that are in Susa, and fast ye for me, and eat not, and drink not for three days, night and day. And I also and my maidens will fast, and then I will go to the king, contrary to the law, even if I must die. So Mordecai went and did all that Esther commanded. And he besought the Lord, making mention of all the works of the Lord. And he said, Lord God, king, ruler over all, for all things are in thy power, and there is none one that should oppose thee in thy purpose to save Israel. By the way, what we're getting here is Mordecai's prayer to the Lord. For thou hast made the heavens and the earth and every wonderful thing in the world under heaven, and thou art Lord of all, and there is no one who shall resist thee, Lord. Thou knowest all things. Thou knowest, Lord, that it is not an insolence, nor haughtiness, nor love of glory that I have done this to refuse obstinance to the haughty Amen. For I would gladly have kissed the soles of his feet for the safety of Israel. But I have done this that I might not set the glory of man above the glory of God. And I will not worship anyone except thee, my Lord. And I will not do those things in haughtiness. And now, O Lord God, the King, the God of Abraham, spare thy people. For our enemies are looking upon to our destruction. And they do have desire to destroy thine ancient inheritance. Do not overlook thy peculiar people whom thou hast redeemed for thyself out of the land of Egypt. Hearken to my prayer, and be propitious to thy inheritance, and turn our mourning into gladness, that we may live and sing praise to thy name, O Lord. And do not utterly destroy the mouth of them that praise thee, O Lord. And all Israel cried with all their might, for the death was before their eyes. And Queen Esther betook herself for refuge to the Lord, being taken as it were in the agony of death, and having taken off her glorious apparel and put garments of distress and mourning instead of grand perfumes, and filled her head with ashes and dung. By the way, you want to talk about humility? You find me one queen, one female leader in all of the world, who's willing to take off her royal garments, put, dust, put ashes and dung in her hair as a way of 
humbling herself before the Lord. This is a godly woman. And filled every place of her glad adorning with torn curls of her hair. And she besought the Lord of the God Israel and said, O my Lord, thou alone art king. Help me who am destitute and have no helper but thee. For my danger is near at hand, and I have heard from my birth in the tribe of my kindred that thou, Lord, took us Israel out of all the nations, and our fathers out of all their kindred for a per- perpetual inheritance, and has wrought for them all that thou hast said. And now we have sinned before thee, and thou hast delivered us into the hands of our enemies, because we honored their gods. Thou art righteous, O Lord. But now they have now contended with the bitterness of our slavery and have laid their hands on the hands of their idols in order to establish the decree of thy mouth and utterly to destroy thine inheritance and to stop the mouth of them that praise thee and to extinguish the glory of thy house and thy altar and to open the mouth of the Gentiles to speak the praises of vanities and in order that the moral king, mortal king should be admired forever. O Lord, do not resign thy scepter to them that are not and let them not laugh at our fall but turn their counsel against themselves and make an example of him who has begun to injure us. Remember us, O Lord. Magnify thyself in the time of our affliction and encourage me, O King of gods and ruler of dominion. Put harmonious speech into into my mouth before the lion and return his heart to hate him that fights against us to utterly destruction of him that consent with him. But deliver us by thy hand. And help me who am destitute, and have none but thee, O Lord. Thou knowest all things, and knowest that I hate the glory of transgressors, and that I abhor the couch of the uncircumcised and every stranger. Thou knowest my my necessity, for I abhor the symbol of my proud station, which is upon my head in the days of my splendor. I abhor it in the menstruous cloth, and I wear it not in the days of my tranquility. And thy handmaid has not eaten at the table of Ammon. And I have not honored the banquet of the king. Neither have I drunk wine of the libations. Neither has thy handmaid rejoiced since the day of my promotion until now except in thee. O Lord God of Abraham, O God who has power over all, hearken to the voice of the desperate and deliver us from the hand of them that devise mischief and deliver me from my fear. And that, my friends, is the end of our study for this morning. So here you have two prayers, one by Mordecai, one by Esther, where they're both praising the one true God of Israel. So, depending on how you view the Septuagint, it kind of makes that argument go to the wayside that there's all these arguments for why God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. Because it's like, well... I guess it depends on which version you're looking at because this one, there's nothing but to talk about God. And both Esther and Mordecai recognize that he's their only chance for salvation and hope. And of course, Esther ends by not just praying for deliverance from all this, but praying that God would deliver her from her fear. Because she has to do this fearful thing, which is appear unannounced and uninvited before the king. That is our study for this morning. I pray you've been blessed, and I hope that these words go forth and pierce hearts and cause you to draw closer to God. I want to thank you for your prayers. It's much needed. 
and your support. Those of you who support the podcast, thank you so much. Couldn't do this without you. That's all I have for you this morning. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.